0: Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hello, welcome to The Rest is History and Happy New Year. We have finally reached 2022, and we've finally reached the 1st of January in our 12 or 13 days of Christmas. So, Tom, Tom Holland, to to bring in the new year, what jolly, upbeat, laugh-a-minute story have you chosen for us? (laughs) Well,
1: um, it's a Roman story, and I think that's appropriate because we celebrate um, the 1st of January as the new year because of the Romans. Yeah. Was it the first day of the year for them?
0: Was that March, uh, well, I
1: thought? It, it, yes, it was, but it was, it was the first day of the civil year. Right. So it's when the consuls, um, who are the two magistrates, who in, during the Republican period um, served as the kind of preeminent magistrates in the Republic, it's when they took office. Um, yep. And um, from the second century BC onwards, and increasingly under the Caesars, it, it comes to be enshrined as the start of the year of, of the, uh, more generally as well. Yeah. So I, I think we talked about that, didn't we? In a, in um, we, we talked on an episode about New Year and about Janus, the, the two headed god who looks right. both ways. Um, and so the, the, under the, under the Empire, under the Caesars, um, the first of January is is not only the day in which the consuls um, head up uh, up to up onto the capital, which is the the sacred hill with the great shrine of of Jupiter and sacrifices made there and the auguries are taken and um, people look to the future. Um, But it's also a day in which um, offerings are kind of made sacrifices are made to the good of Caesar. Right. Um, And in AD 68, uh, that is the year it's, it's the last year of Nero's life. And he goes up there and notoriously what happens on that day is first of all, they, they can't find the keys to the temple of <laughs> that's uh, ominous Blind Jove. so that's an ominous, ominous that's an ominous but the other the other ominous thing that happens is that um <clears throat> Sporus who um friend of the show the uh <laughs> the poor boy who has been castrated and turned into the spitting image of Nero's dead wife Poppaea Sabina um as a gift gives Nero um a ring on which uh Persephone is shown being raped by Hades, the king of the underworld, and taken down well wow. um, into the, de- the, the depths of the kingdom of the dead. It's quite a quite a quite a strong present, I would say. Quite a it, well, yes. Uh, all kinds of um, subliminal messages. As being sent can say, especially there. what's been
0: going on with Sporus.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's it's a kind of it's a it's remembered subsequently as a sombre moment uh, where Nero's downfall, which happens um, over the course of the following months, uh, is set in train. Um, And it's set in train by a a, a Gallo-Roman aristocrat called Julius Vindex, who declares that, you know, Nero's, you know, he's beyond the pale. He's gone too far. He's raising the banner of of rebellion. Um, And this serves to trigger a rebellion in Spain uh, and encourages uh, an old school kind of figure of Republican aristocratic virtue called Galba, uh, who is the governor of one of the provinces in Spain to declare himself emperor. Uh, Nero is toppled, commits suicide, and the Senate uh, accept Galba as emperor. And Galba crosses from Spain through Gaul down through Italy and enters Rome. And so on the 1st of January 69 AD, he is the emperor. Uh, So he is going through the rituals that the year before Nero had done. Now, these rituals do not just take place in Rome. They take place in cities across the empire and most significantly, they take place in legionary bases. And these legionary bases are dotted mainly around the frontiers, not not exclusively, but mainly. And the largest concentration of uh, these legionary bases are along the Rhine because the Rhine obviously is adjacent to uh, Germany that the Romans had attempted to conquer. They then lost three legions, um, to Varus in AD, 9. Uh, Varus' three legions have been lost to Arminius in in AD nine. Teutoburg Forest. Teutoburg Forest. Um, and the Romans kind of you know, they inflict devastating punishment on the Germans for it, and they essentially decide the Germans don't deserve to be conquered. That's their right. attitude. Yeah. So they 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 build these line of bases along along the Rhine, um, and that means that there's a huge concentration of manpower there. Now these Rhine legions they had marched against Julius Vindex in the summer, not because they were loyal to Nero, but because they saw Julius Vindex not as a Roman, but as a Gallic rebel. And there'd been attempts to negotiate, but basically between the the, the commander of the Rhine legions and Julius Vindex. But uh, the legions wanted to have a a punch up. They want, basically they wanted, you know, they wanted a chance to, to, to wipe out Julius Vindex's men who were all Gauls. Right. And that would then license them to plunder Gaul. I was about to say, there must be some reason they're just fighting. There must be booty. They they would have a big puncher and they want booty. Yeah. And they're not allowed to do this. And basically it's Galba who stops them from doing it. And Galba sends, pack sends them packing back to the the, the Rhine bases. So they're really, really cross about this. And they're further, they dislike Galba because Galba had been in command on the Rhine frontier. And he was a tremendous kind of Martinet. He was, you know, an old school stickler and they didn't like it. Um, He was, he was kind of, Legionaries were perfectly capable of respecting stern disciplinarians, but they had to be charismatic as well.
0: And it's kind of football manager, you know, Dominic, all that stuff that you were doing when you should have been... <laughs> <laughs> You're comparing Galba's administration of the Ryan Legions to my managerial career, on championship no, not, but, manager you know, but, 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 in, in the late me, there, 1990s.
1: There are managers who can be incredible sticklers for discipline and who nobody likes. And then there are key yeah. managers who are yeah, absolutely. incredible sticklers for discipline and, and the players absolutely adore them and will do anything yeah, for them. Exactly. Galba was, was, was a stickler without charisma. They so didn't he's, not, like he's
0: not Alex Ferguson,
1: basically. He's not Alex Ferguson, no. So they don't like him. Um, and that means that when the 1st of January comes... And the time comes for them to go to um, the principia, which is the kind of the central great hall, the great shrine in the middle of each legionary base, to pay their respects to the standards, the eagles—that's the symbol for, for each for each legion—but also the statues of the emperor. And and it's a way, basically, of kind of renewing, you know, it's it's a public affirmation of loyalty yeah. to the serving emperor. Um, and this is incredibly important this year of all years because Galba unlike the previous lines of emperors, you know, he has no claim to be a part of the family of Augustus, who was the founder yeah. of this imperial dynasty. So for the first time, someone is ruling as Caesar who, who does not belong to the family of the Caesars. So you have all these, um, all these bases. You have uh, bases in what are called lower Germany, which is um, the, the kind of uh, the upper Rhine, the, 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 uh, the, the Rhine nearest the North Sea. And then you have um, uh, upper Germany, which is you know, going further towards the source. The, um, the, the, yeah. the legions of lower Germany, with no great enthusiasm, are persuaded to, to basically kind of swear loyalty, swear their sacramentum, their, their kind of oath of loyalty to Galba. Um, in Upper Germany, it's different. Uh, there, there is a, a massive troublemaker um, by the name of Aulus Caecina, and Caecina actually had been a, a colleague in Spain of Galba's. No, so he hates him? No, had actually kind of swung round behind him. Oh, no, okay. Um, together with a man called Otho, who would be yeah. a friend of Nero. So Otho Caecina. You love Caicina, him, you love Otto. Otho. Otho Caecina and Vitellius. Uh, so Otho Caecina and um, uh, Galba, between them had kind of mustered the forces of Spain that had then enabled Galba to become emperor. Otho had gone with Galba to Rome but by Kaichina, who was very young, had been given command of um, the senior legion in a double legionary base at a place called Magontiacum, which today is Mainz. Okay. Um, and this is a huge promotion; he's been promoted massively above you know his age qualifications. So, so Caecina um, should be happy with this, but he's not because he's a man in a hurry and he's stuck out in you know in the the snow and drizzle of the Rhine while Otho is back in Rome, whooping it up. And of course, as it turns out plotting Um, and Caecina basically decides that he, 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 he he wants to um, he wants to expedite his career even faster. And so over the course of 69, he's been engaging in all kinds of corrupt practices and he's been caught red-handed and galba wants to bring him to to trial and so this threatens the total ruin of his career so Caecina decides on the 1st of january he's got nothing to lose and so he stirs up a mutiny and the legion he's in command of and then the other legion that's sharing this camp they all smash the statues of of galba uh they they reject his claim to be a legitimate caesar they uh swear an oath of loyalty um not to uh, any individual candidate because there isn't an available one, but to the Senate and people of Rome. Okay. But of course, they are immediately looking around for someone else who might be able to, you know, yeah. take Galba's place. So, um, even Caecina recognizes that he can't do that. He's, he's too young. He's too yeah. junior. He lacks the prestige to, to be a credible Caesar. So basically it needs to be, um, either the governor of upper Germany or lower Germany. The, the, the governor of upper Germany has one of the more amusingly one of the more amusing Roman names. I mean, it's He's called Hordonius Flaccus, which okay. I mean, it kind of sounds like something out of Viz. Yeah, and he—he's a hopeless figure. Um, okay, he's he, flaccid He never does. He, he is a flaccid figure. He—he's—he's he's not a hard on. um He—he—he basically—he's—he's he's not going to be a good Caesar. And right. so they look at the guy who is, you know, up the Rhine, who's the governor there, and it's a guy called Vitellius. Very fat. Now, if I tell as you
0: say, he's very, very fat. That's the thing. That Isn't there something goes. About, about Suetonius him. says about him that when he was marching, he'd often like stop and like eat a pie and stuff. And then <laughs> he loves his and... pies. He loves yeah. his <laughs> pies. Yeah, it's he like
2: loves his pies or something. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he's a man of uh, he has kind of distinguished pedigree. Um, he's actually, despite the fact that Suetonius and Tacitus both kind of blacken his name because he ends up, lo- you know, he's a bit of a loser. Um, he, he has you know, he has a distinguished record. He's perfectly serviceable as a candidate. Um, and one of the things that's actually rather impressive about him is that he he knows his own inadequacies. And so, when um, a messenger is sent by, um, uh, Caecina galloping all the way up to what's now Cologne, where yeah. uh, Vitellius has his headquarters and bursting in, and of course, Vitellius is at dinner, <laughs> which causes <laughs> huge amusement. He's always at dinner. <laughs> he's always at dinner. Um, Vitellius kind of, you know, says, We, we, you should become Caesar. Vitellius hesitates. Uh, and then the next day, um, one of the commanders um, from his his stretch of the Rhine, a man called Fabius Valens, comes rushing in from the legionary camp at Bonn, and likewise says, "You know, yes, you must become Caesar." So Vitellius then faces a huge problem, which is he, he doesn't really want to be Caesar. He he knows he won't be a good Caesar. Yeah. Um, his mum had been told, with so the story goes, when he was born, that if he ever had a military command, it would all end up disastrously. And so oh. he's always been conscious of this. And so he's worried that, it, you know, it's, this, this, this has all been foretold. But it's going to end terribly. But he's got this huge problem because if he's not going to accept the leadership of the mutinous legions as their emperor. Then he's going to have to repress the mutiny. Yeah, and he doesn't have any course. troops. So he has to essentially, go along yeah, he's, he's essentially stuck. Um, and then the news comes through from Rome that Galba has been assassinated and replaced by Otho. Um, So you have the situation in by the end of January, where in Rome, you have Otho on the Rhine frontier, you have uh, Vitellius and you have troops. um, So both Caecina and Valens are already leading their troops southwards towards the Alps uh, and and Italy. And we are all set fair for a year that comes to be known as the year of the four emperors. I think because, we should re- we should revisit this, Tom. Well, we should podcast. because I, I've actually just been writing about it in the book yes. that I am currently in the process of.
0: So, uh, your book, just to give uh, listeners a sneak preview. Your book is about. So, you've done one on the Julio Claudians. So, from so I've done I've done Rubicon, Ju- which is about yeah. the fall of the
1: Roman Republic. I've done Dynasty, which is about the the Julio Claudians ending with Nero. And this is called Pax, so yeah. the peace, the Roman peace, and it begins with Nero's death. We go through the era of the four emperors. So, you have Galba. Gets murdered by Otho, who gets defeated in battle by Vitellius, who gets defeated um, and horribly killed by the supporters of Vespasian, who by the end of the year has become um, emperor. And he then establishes the Flavian dynasty, followed by Titus, who is emperor um, when Pompeii gets destroyed, when the Colosseum is inaugurated, uh, Domitian gets assassinated, and then you have um, Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian. Yeah. And it's bookended by um, the, the, the the two events that perhaps in the long run have the most seismic impact in this period, which is the uh, the, the, the two Jewish revolts. Um, the first of which ends culminates in the destruction of the temple. The second one culminates effectively in the destruction of the Judean quality of what gets renamed Palestine. So it's a, it's a really thrilling, yeah. important, it's fascinating
0: not- period. A, a nice bit of, uh, nice bit of sort of early promotion for your book. So yeah. Is, yeah. Well, when happy is new year. When's it new out? When's it out next this year? Twenty twenty two? No, next year. Twenty twenty three. So what are we in now? Twenty twenty two? Yeah, twenty twenty three. Okay, jolly good. Yeah. That's something to look forward to. Right, and what we've also got to look forward to after the break is my choice for the first of January, which is
1: also on a Roman theme,
0: isn't it? Yeah, Romanish. I think we can say Romanish. Yeah, we shall return after the
1: break. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to um, our 1st of January, 12 Days of Christmas special. Uh, In the first half, we had a very, very Roman theme. Um, We were looking at uh, the mutiny on the Rhine in AD 69, the year of the four
0: emperors. Um, And Dominic, your choice is also, you know, it's Roman. It is Roman. Yeah, it is Roman. So as you know, Tom, I have a a long-running sort of hobby. I have a long-running passion for... Byzantine history which I started when I was an undergraduate and um, have always been fascinated by frankly would have done if I'd had the languages but I didn't I didn't you couldn't do Latin or I'd lost all my Latin never really done any Greek um, so I couldn't do anything on it Um, so I ended up going to American and then British history instead Uh, but deep down I'd always like to have done the age of iconoclasm or something like that so anyway (laughs) we are in Been going all about Christianity yeah, God, how awful that would have been. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> There's an alternate reality. Maybe I'd have been a very iconoclastic historian. I'd have claimed yeah, Christianity. You said it was all about sociology. Instead. Yeah, exactly. It was all about pots. <laughs> yeah. The pots, I couldn't get I could never get <laughs> on with the pots, to be brutally honest. So
1: you, so you don't like pots and you don't like Christianity.
0: Yeah. so maybe you're the love Eastern, history. So maybe I, think, the I think you were much apart. better. You were I just like eunuchs, daughter. blinding, icons, <laughs> yeah. all those kinds of palaces. Right, so we are in the 11th century uh we are on the 1st of january 1068 and this is the day that a fellow called romanus the fourth becomes what we would now call the emperor byzantium but of course it's they the didn't of the call romans. they could emperor of the romans right emperor of rome i mean this is one of the the strange things i think for we've never really done an episode on the byzantine empire but one of the interesting things about it is that it's it's known by a name that none of the people who lived in it well there are the so first. many that we should do I mean we should do a kind of framing episode shouldn't we? We
1: should. On the whole well, we should, but then way, we should then... I mean
0: I've all, I mentioned iconoclasm. I love the subject of iconoclasm because there's yeah, so we're, we're, little we're, known about it. It's so mysterious. <laughs> anyway, we're kind of we're kind of going getting sidetracked. So in the 11th century the empire of the romans has become, you know, it's 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 waxed and waned, but it has by and large been reduced to the southern balkans and what is now largely turkey. So basically Asia Minor, Anatolia. But the 11th uh, century, I mean, it, so it had gone through a terrible stage. So we, we did
1: um, uh, Charlemagne's coronation. Yeah. And, and it was really on its uppers then. Yeah. But over the course of the 10th century into the 11th century, it comes back. It has uh, come back. Yes. So it's had it's, tremendous comebacks. Yeah. Um, um, the, but the, it's the, of- the, the brilliant 10th century emperor, Nikephorus
0: <laughs> Phocas. Yeah. He's the fellow is he now does he lose his head or does he ca- sever somebody else's I can never remember. He gets assassinated in, he is in, assass- the, yeah. in the palace but he's a, an awful, a great saracen fighter. There are, there are I mean there's all these tremendous characters Basil the Bulgar Slayer and so yes.
1: on. So 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 actually I mean the thing the thing is, is that that when Romanus IV becomes emperor the yeah. Byzantine Empire is is a massive superpower. I
0: mean, yeah, it's, it's not doing that badly. I mean, yeah. it's as I say, it's it's not the Roman Empire of Italy, North Africa, yeah. Spain, and so on. It's in the Eastern Mediterranean. But you're right; it is a it's rich, it's powerful, um, it's a it's a very sophisticated place. And if you think that at the same time, you know, this is what two years after the Battle of Hastings. I mean, by comparison, you know, the, the 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 Romans, the people who live in Constantinople, are living lives of kind of gilded splendor, really, compared with their. They're sort of northern rivals, anyway. So this fellow, he's called uh, Romanus Diogenes, and he's the son uh, of a guy called Constantine Diogenes. And the Diogenoi, the they come, the family, they come from what's now Turkey, so from Anatolia. They're a very sort of rich, well-connected, kind of mi- military aristocratic family a clan. And he has, you know, you talk about people serving on the frontier, the the Rhine frontier. So, the equivalent in the sort of 11th century is the Danubian frontier. So, that's where they, the the Romans of the day, have their troops. And he has served in that army. And he, it's, it, there are some interesting parallels between the first story and this story, because Romanus is a very popular and successful general. Um, the emperor, Constantine X, has died in 1067. His wife, who is called Eudokia, has taken over as regent for his sons, who are basically too young to assume the throne themselves. And Romanus clearly thinks, as is very common with um, Byzantine generals in this era, he clearly thinks, well, you know, I could kind of take over myself, and clearly a lot of soldiers think this. Um, But basically, any plan that he has for a coup goes wrong, and he is taken to Constantinople and taken before Eudokia, who is the regent, who is the widow, and um, he awaits punishment. Now, in these days, obviously, you, you could be executed, you could be blinded, you could be forced into a monastery, and you know, the sources aren't great, but you can kind of imagine him there on waiting to find out what his sentence is. And she says, um, actually, you know what? You seem quite an impressive, <laughs> impressive fellow. I think I might marry you, and you can become emperor. I mean that's the
1: best, isn't it? So I it's mean, basically that the range of options you have. That's, yeah,
0: that's better. You take that, that. That is that. You definitely take that. I mean, yeah. you know, it's tremendous. Well, I mean, given what happens, uh, maybe he would think that he'd be doing better off in a monastery. Who knows? Anyway, he he takes he becomes emperor, and actually, what's interesting about him is not that this event on the first of January, but what happens afterwards. Because as you know, Tom, he is emperor for the next sort of three years, and then. He leads the Roman, the Byzantine army, um, into this tremendous battle at a place called Manzikert Mm -hmm. in 1071, where he's up against a group of people called the Turks. So, obviously, the Turks have come from Central Asia, and they've swept into, or or swept or or seeped, I mean, it's been quite gradual, into, into kind of Asia Minor, into Anatolia. And they are the they are the big new players, the Seljuk Turks. But they're t- they're they're t- intimidated by yeah, the Roman army. They you know they're, they're desperate to make terms.
1: Yeah, because they're facing the Romans.
0: I, just, I can just crush them. And but no, it all goes because wrong. at the Battle of Manzikert, it all goes wrong for him, doesn't it? Don't some of the some of his half the army runs away. And um, He split his forces,
1: hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, so it's drawing
0: and they yeah, terrible. It's all a shambles. He's captured. The Seljuk Sultan is a man called Alp Arslan. <laughs> and, um, and he can't believe, Byzantine historians say he can't believe it when this guy is dragged before him. And they say, this is the Roman emperor. You know, this is the heir of Augustus and Constantine and mm. Diocletian and all the Justinian, all these great figures. And this shambolic looking man covered in dust, mm. battered. And, um Alp Arslan puts his foot on Romanus. They push Romanus down in the dust, and Alp Arslan puts his foot on Romanus's neck as a sort of symbol. But then actually, he treats him with what our it's Turkish listeners will be yeah. pleased to hear traditional Turkish hospitality. Yeah. He raises yeah. him to his, to his <laughs> he takes him to his, uh, takes him to his tent and gives him fine wines and they eat, you know, kebabs or whatever and have a yeah. splendid time. Yeah. Treats <laughs> him very well. Uh, says so they never, never said a cruel word to him in the eight days that Romanus spent in the, in the camp, so basically, he then releases Romanus and says, "You'll give us a treaty and you'll pay a massive ransom." Romanus says, "Oh yes, absolutely." Then he goes back, and the the imperial family have basically launched a kind of coup against him, haven't they? The Dukas mm. family. Um, so then there's a whole series of sort of strange feuds and battles, and um, Romanus is he's basically holed up in Adana and the south of Turkey, what's well, now Turkey. And uh, he's surrounded and he has to surrender and he's given assurances of sort of safety and so on. So he surrenders. So this is the end of 1071. And um, they've told him, the people who've toppled him from the sort of imperial family, they say, well, you know, we'll let you go. You can go into a monastery and stuff. Um, but they completely break that promise, Tom. Very, very poor Very form. Byzantine. They They break that promise. And do you know what happens to him? Remind me. Well, he is led away, pleading for mercy, to be blinded, this is what the source says, by an inexperienced Jew um, who requires three attempts to blind him while the emperor bellowed like a bull. Yeah. Very sad scene. When he arose, his eyes were drenched with blood, a pathetic and pitiable sight that made everyone who saw it cry uncontrollably. And then he's, um, he's sent off to exile in the Sea of Marmara near what's now Istanbul. And his eyes get infected. He dies very I mean, quickly, doesn't he? He dies soon after. Not unsurprisingly. And the last thing that happens to him before his death is a Byzantine historian called Michael Psellus. Yes, his book you can get in Penguin yeah. Classics. Yeah. He sends him a letter. He hates Romanus, and he sends him a letter. He says, "Congratulations on the on the loss of your eyes." <laughs> sort of basically I'm mocking him. <laughs> it's all about kicking yeah. a man when he's down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the end of Romanus, and that's why I think back on New Year's Day, ten sixty eight or whenever it was, when he went in to see the empress it had been better if he'd been a monk he, he'd have been much better being a monk from the beginning yeah. no, none of this would have happened manzikert losing as the turks. as of course would the byzantine empire yeah yeah you're right because so, really
1: manzikert is you know it's a kind of death knell in the long it's a
0: landmark isn't it in uh, yeah. sort of the long history because it's not the Royal actually empire. the battle
1: itself it's the civil war that follows
0: yeah that sort and of tears the it apart. the
1: turks are able to kind of start infiltrating in
0: yeah and from that point onwards i mean that said tom they last for another four hundred years, but yeah, they,
1: they do, they do. But, but it's, um, you know,
0: it's it's not great, is it? But they never recapture Anatolia, their whole the rule. No, they Anatolia. don't. It's their old heartland, where they used to raise all their troops from, and stuff. Yeah. Um, but even so, you know, I sometimes think with the strange thing with Byzantine history is people sort of say after Manzikert, it was all downhill. You kind of think, yeah, but that's kind of twice as long as the United States has existed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a hell of a long time. Yeah, but it's a, on
1: life support for quite, you know. For quite a long time. Yes, I suppose So Manzikert and the the capture of Constantinople in 1204
0: by the the, Crusaders. That's very poor, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, that's... That's an amazing story, but also kind of one of the most shameful stories in European history. It's so depressing. I I can never quite bring myself to read about it. Do you think the Venetians should give back those horses? I don't. I think those days are gone. Yeah. Who would they give them back to? Exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. Right. That's a very doubt. Tom, you look so crushed, by the Well, area. I do. I find, I, I, find that, I find it so depressing
1: that uh, I love Byzantine history up until Manzikert, and then
0: after that, I can't really bear to read about it. Do you think uh, the world would be a better place if that empire had survived? Of course had it would. It would be you amazing. Say. The Roman Empire.
1: Roman Empire surviving in the 21st century.
0: I think, I, I, as you know, I mourn the, I think the Austro-Hungarian Empire should still exist. I think that would be a great thing i'd much rather a, a proper line of emperors
1: descended from augustus right yeah you could fear, be a, still a cathedral
0: it'd be amazing you could go and be a kind of civil servant or something at that court
1: well i'd have, have to be hap-
0: eunuch but you know maybe do you not think they'd have um they'd have done away with that by now i'd, okay. I'd be nervous about the blindings and the <laughs> yeah, yeah you, <laughs> would. you would but you'd be a great you know you'd be a great kind of You'd be a great bishop, wouldn't you? Bishop of Bishop of Antioch or something. I can absolutely see you as that. That would be a very exciting option. Going to kind of, you know, but sadly, and councils cre- and debating the nature of Christ. You'd love all that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but sadly, not a career option.
0: No, you just don't do podcasts. Yeah,
1: that career avenue's been <laughs> closed off and I'm reduced to doing podcasts. <laughs> On which note yeah. um we should uh we should finish, shouldn't we? Because We have, we've year, just degenerated this. Day. We saw so um, And, uh. <laughs> I'm sure people have better things to do on New Year's Day than to listen to mad, insane fantasies of what we'd do <laughs> in a Byzantine Empire
0: that had never fallen. What would you do? You'd be, a, uh, what, a general or. Oh, Tom, that's so kind of you. Thank you. Um. No, I'd be doing something really tedious and some. I, I thought maybe I'd be a, holy be a man on a pillar. I'd be a <laughs> stylite. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a stylite. How about oh, that? You'd be a terrible stylite. No, I would be. I wouldn't I wouldn't be a stylite. You'd get bored um i think i'd be a hard-nosed general yeah, i think like you would. on the danubian frontier yeah i think you would yeah
1: uh, and your troops would raise you to emperor and then you'd come to a horrible end
0: i would i would and I'd basically would be Vitelli- I'd i would glide away i would glide away smiling i'd I, you would like peter barris in the shadows <laughs> yes, exactly. I'd, be, I'd be Vitellius, basically i think that's what you're trying to say isn't it <laughs> No, i'm not saying that i'm not saying that you're just stopping there. for a snack on my way to the decisive <laughs> showdown <laughs> <laughs> okay we're gonna let you get on with your new year happy new year and we'll see you again everyone. tomorrow bye-bye bye-bye
1: thanks for listening to the rest is history for bonus episodes early access ad-free listening and access to our chat community please sign up at rest is historypod.com. that's restishistorypod.com